Today's message is based. Today's scripture comes from John chapter four, one through eighteen. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink," for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, "If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, 'Give me a drink,' you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water." The woman said to him, "Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where?" Do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, "Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life." The woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty, or have to come here to draw water." Jesus said to her, "Go, call your husband and come here." The woman answered him, "I have no husband." Jesus said to her, "You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true." This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Well, good to see everybody here. I'm glad you you made it.、Um, can you believe this weather? I think it, we we broke records this weekend for temp high temperatures. I I, don't, I guess climate change is real, and、um, who knows? Maybe we don't have to go to California anymore for nice weather over the winter. But、uh, we'll see.、Um, if you're joining us here for the first time. Or if you haven't been here in a while,、uh, the past month we've been spending time talking about missions. And last week we had our own missionaries give our presentation, and, and he gave us the message. And so、um, I wanted him to give him an opportunity to share the word of God. But if he didn't, I was going to do this message. And, and so this message here is was going to be part of that missions thing. But it, it, I've decided to switch it up a little bit. I've come to this passage so many times, and、uh, I use it for different reasons because. There is just so many things in this passage in this story that we could preach on. I could probably do maybe like seven or eight messages just on this story, and so、uh, I'm going to try and go through this、um, very carefully so that we can see something very basic. Every time I read this story about how Jesus goes and meets this Samaritan woman, the picture I have of Jesus is this: He is a smooth guy. Right,、uh, he's the guy that I probably wanted to be in college, the guy that's not afraid to talk to women, right? The guy that's able to, you know, engage in a conversation and actually start a relationship with a complete stranger. 
you know, that guy in the bar that you see picking up women left and right. That's not what he's doing quite the same. But, you know, he's smooth. He, he knows, I think, what he's doing. He knows how to talk. He knows how to get to the person's real, I guess, issue just by words, just by words. And he's not uptight. He's not, he's not nervous. He's not uncomfortable. They're just having a drink of water. Right? That, that's what the scene is, and it's amazed here. And I want us to see three things that this story teaches us today. There's so many things, but just three. Number one, the gospel crosses lines. Number two, the gospel also addresses needs. And number three, the last point, the gospel addresses hearts. Crosses lines, addresses needs, and addresses hearts. Okay, so let's look at this. I really wanted to look at all the way to verse 38, really, but I only gave to verse 18 because it would take so much time to read. But here, this passage opens up, and here we see this person, Jesus Christ, asking this woman to give him a cup of water, to have a drink. The first point here is this. The gospel crosses lines. Here's why it's important. First of all, we're told, and you already know this, she's not just any woman. She's a Samaritan woman. And if you know anything about Samaritans, you know that a Samaritan or Samaritans, in fact, as a people, were a sect, a result of an Assyrian attack on Israel back in 724 B.C. The Assyrians came in, stormed Israel, right, took into exile all the wealthy and all the skilled Jews, and they left behind the poor and the unskilled, right? And these poor and unskilled Jews uh, were remained left with the Assyrians who brought in their own, their own gods. They were Jewish, but they brought in their own gods, the Assyrians, and they added their worship to the Jewish worship. So they worshiped not just Yahweh, right, but they worshiped other gods, you can read all about this in 2 Kings chapter 17. And so you had a group of Jews who are now living in Samaria, but now, according to real Jews, they're not pure. They're a mixed religion now because they've been mixed with culture. They're considered impure. And then you add on top of that the fact that the king of Assyria brings in foreigners, right? Foreigners to intermarry with the Jewish remnant that was with him. And the reason he did this was because he wanted to dilute the Jewish presence, their blood, minimize any chance of rebellion. And so over time, these diluted Jews developed some of their own uh, theological distinctives, and they came up with their own culture, originally Jewish, but now something completely different. And so now you have this splinter group of, of, of Jews, Samaritans, who are completely at odds with the original Jews. And that's why there's bad blood between Jews and Samaritans in this passage. And the woman in our text is a part of that rival splinter group. And she's in, therefore, along with her people, an outcast among all Jews because she was Samaritan, right? And yet Jesus comes to talk with her. Jesus was a Jew. She, he talks with a Samaritan. The second thing we see here is this. Not only is there crossing over of cultural uh, boundaries, but notice this. The woman, as she sees Jesus talking to her, she's surprised. And she responds to him. She says, why are you a Jew asking me a Samaritan for a drink. But notice the Bible verse doesn't say that. It says, why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan woman? 
And so another issue, another line that we see crossed here is this. Jesus, in his own people, was at least considered a rabbi. And according to rabbinic law, not biblical law, but rabbinic law, right, you were not to speak to a woman in public. So if you read verse 27 and the disciples come back and they see Jesus talking to this woman, that's why they're surprised. They're like, whoa, he's talking to a woman in public. And this is why the woman here in verse 9 is surprised that he's talking with her. The fact, not that he would just ask for water from a Samaritan, but also a Samaritan woman in public. He crosses gender lines. The third thing we see here is this in verse 16 to 18. We also learn something about this woman's character. Not only is she a Samaritan, you don't cross that line. Not only is she a woman in public as a man, you don't cross that line. But certainly, moral lines are crossed. Moral lines are crossed. We're told here in verses 16 to 18, she's been married five times and is presently living with a man who is not her husband. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, in their culture, you know, at least in Jewish culture, up to three times might be permissible. Three times, okay? Five times. And on top of that, living with someone who is not her husband. If you met someone who's been married five or six times, what would you think? What would you think? Honestly, what would you think? And I'll be very honest. I would think... This person's got some issues. This person's got some issues, some relational issues. Maybe she needs to or he needs to, like, slow it down. I mean, that's, that's normally what I would think. Five times, we're told. And so can you imagine in a conservative culture during her time how people would treat her? She's not just someone who's been divorced a few times. She's an adulteress. She's a fornicator. She is a sinner. She's not only an outcast among Jewish people, but she's also an outcast among her own people, among Samaritan women, because of her background. And yet Jesus is talking with her. He crosses moral lines. I want you to think about this, okay? Jesus is a Jewish guy, a good Jewish guy, considered a rabbi, a religious leader by some, and yet, in this passage, we see him crossing boundaries over and over again. He drinks with a Samaritan, right? Considered defiled. Shares a cup of water with her. That's defiled. She, he, he, he speaks with a woman in public. Crosses that line. You shouldn't do that. But he does. And she is of dubious character. And yet, Jesus engages with her. Oftentimes, we hear that, well, you know, Christianity is a product of culture. It's a product of Jewish culture, or now today in our country, it's a product of Western culture. And so let's not impose Christianity on different cultures. Let's respect everyone's culture because that's what uh, Christianity is, a product of culture. And let me just say, certainly there are cultural elements here in this passage, but what we see here is this, that the gospel, that Jesus, though Christianity, though he has cultural roots, refuses to conform to any culture. He's countercultural. He crosses lines. And I'm on, this, this is the first point. All I'm trying to say is this. If you're going to make Christianity and the gospel fit into your culture, fit into your life, conform to your world, your ways of thinking, let me tell you something. You are going to be very disappointed 
Because here's the thing. If Jesus never butts head with you, if the Bible never contradicts you, conflicts with you, disagrees with you, then guess what? You're never going to change. You're never going to change. Nothing's different. And so either you are the most godliest person in the world because everything you do seems to fit in with what Jesus is saying, or you don't have the gospel. You don't know who Jesus is. And you have to ask yourself, do I really understand what Christianity is? Who is Jesus? Do I really understand? He crosses lines, okay? Second point. The gospel also, Jesus also, addresses needs. He addresses needs. This is how smooth Jesus is. In the beginning of our story, Jesus asks for a drink. At the end of the conversation, she's asking him for a drink, right? He asked her for a drink. She's now asking him for a drink. He says to her, you know what? If you knew the kind of water that I had, you would be asking me for a drink. And she does. She says, if you've got that water where I'll never go thirsty, so I don't have to draw water out this well every day, give it to me. She had a need. What was it? It was water. Basic necessity, a basic need. She needed water to live. And this is why we're told she's coming out to this well, Jacob's well, at the sixth hour, which is 12 p.m., which is in the middle of the day, the hottest time of the day, she's going out to draw water from this well because you need water to live. Now, let me, you know, she's not going there for a cup. She's got probably this huge water pot. She's going to carry this heavy water pot. Jacob's well from Samaria is quite far, and she walks every day carrying this huge pot, maybe on top of her head, to this well to draw water so that she could take it all the way back and drink it. It's a need. It's a basic need. And that's why she, she wanted to do it. So, of course, Jesus says, I've got water. If you drink it, you'll never go thirsty. And, of course, she wants that. Because then, if I never go thirsty, then I don't have to come out to this well every day and work so hard to get this water and go back. Give it to me. I think we all relate with this, with these kinds of needs. You know, instead of having to cook every day, wouldn't it be nice if you could just push a button and your food pops up in front of you, all made and ready and warm? But you know the story, right? It, what Jesus is talking about some is, is, is different. It's different. This woman, in her mind, she's thinking, I've got need. I need this water. In Jesus' mind, it, it's something different. How do I know? She says in verse 11, Sir, you've got nothing to draw this water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? And in verse 14, Jesus says, The water that I will give him will become in him, what does he say? A spring of water, welling up to eternal life. It's something different. You see, a spring is natural. Man can't create springs. They are naturally formed. A spring is God-given. A well is something that men dig up. It's something that people make. It's something different. He says, I'll give you this water. It will be like a spring. She's thinking about well where she could draw water. And I think in his mind, it's a hint. It's something different that Jesus is offering. Something only God can give. And Jesus says, once you drink of it, you will never go thirsty again. 
It's obvious, right? Jesus is talking about something completely different from what the woman thought she needed. How do I know? After talking about water for a long time, something that she needed, verse 16, Jesus, out of nowhere, asked her this very personal and very awkward question. Go get your husband. You see, I think Jesus knew she needed something completely different. Completely different. He knew better. Think about this. He knew this woman somehow. It's the sixth hour. It's noon, the hottest time of the day. Most women draw water either at sunset or at, or at, in the, you know, in, at least in the morning. The other thing is there are plenty of wells near home, plenty of wells. But she deliberately goes out to Jacob's well, has to go far away from town, the hottest time of the day. She chose a time and a place that is far and alone. Why? To avoid other people. To be left alone. Five husbands working on her sixth. And Jesus knew. How did he know? It doesn't matter. You know why? Because the fact is, everyone in town knows. They know this woman, and they do what people still do today. They talk, and they talked, and they talked, and they talked, and they throw a few stares, and maybe a few pointing fingers, and maybe a shaking head. This woman, every single day of her life, was being looked on with judgment and sneers and, 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 and stares. She was an outcast, not just by Jewish people, but by her own People, there was nowhere she could go. She couldn't even draw water in peace. So she comes out for water in the middle of the day when no one else does. Do that hard work so that she could still live. You see the irony? She thought she knew what she needed. She just needed some water to live, but Jesus knew, he knew what she really needed, and what was that? She needed to be free from people. Their opinions, their expectations, their judgment. She needed to be free from that, from that people. And she probably needed to be free from herself, her own thoughts, her own anxiety, her own worries, her own feelings of shortcoming maybe, her own failures, maybe even a little bit of shame or guilt. And Jesus hears at this well, and he says, I could give you that. And I think she got it. How do I know? If you keep reading this chapter and you go to verse 28, it says here, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You see what, do you see what, what it says? The woman, after meeting Jesus, left her water jar there and went back into town. I don't think this was just a blurb that, that John put in here just to create detail. There's a reason here. I think her leaving that water pot there symbolized a change in this person because 
that pot, that water for her, that was life. That was life for her. And we are told in verse 28, the water for her, the life for her, she leaves it. She completely abandons the business at hand. And I think it symbolizes that something has changed in this person. Because what does she do? She goes back to town and to those people. To the very people she wanted to avoid. The very people that was judging her. The very people that looked at her weird and talked about her behind her back. To those people she goes back and what does she do? Come and see this guy who told me everything that I ever did. She came to the well because of what she thought she needed. She meets Jesus and got what Jesus thought she really needed. Let me ask you a question. What are you praying for these days? What do you usually pray for? What do you think right now, what do you think you really, really need? I mean, if I thought about it, if I was this woman, there are a few things I would pray for. Number one, I pray, get these people out of my life. Get them out of my way. Maybe I'll pray, Lord, I've had five. Give me, give me a good husband. <laughs> give me a good, the right one. Or maybe just this, this walk of taking water in this hot time of day. God, make my life a little bit easier. Those are things I would pray for. But Jesus doesn't address any of those things. He says right away, go get your husband. He doesn't avoid the conversation. He directs it. He addresses not just outside circumstances, but he is addressing her inside. Here's my point. Sometimes we pray, Lord, make my spouse better. That's what I need. But Jesus may be saying, you should pray, Lord, help me to be more patient. Sometimes we pray, Lord, make my kids better. Let them listen to me. Help them to get good grades. But maybe God says, what you really need to pray for is this. Help me to know I'm not in control. You are. Sometimes we pray, Lord, I need a relationship. I, I need a friend. I need a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I need a spouse. Lord, help me. But sometimes God says, no, what you really need to pray for is this. You need to say, Lord, help me to know your presence, that you are with me, and help me to be satisfied with you even as I pray for all these things. Sometimes we work so hard and pray so hard for our water pot to be filled when maybe what we need to pray, say, Lord, give me the strength to leave it, to leave it for something maybe that water pots just can't hold. You understand? Sometimes, okay, what we think we really need, even valid, legitimate, Good needs is not the need of the moment that God has in mind for you. And that's a hard lesson learned. But we trust there must be something more, something different that we need that only he can give. Okay? 
The gospel addresses needs. So crosses lines, addresses needs. Last point, gospel addresses hearts. Let me ask you the question now, okay? So what is it exactly does really does Jesus give this woman? She goes to him, avoids people, right, living kind of in the shadows and meets Jesus and gets a drink. And all of a sudden, something's different. She goes back. She leaves the water pot. She goes back. She starts talking to people again. What, what exactly did Jesus give? What did he really want to give this woman? What is this living water, this spring from which you drink, you never go thirsty? What exactly is that? Why did Jesus say, or John say in verse 4, that he had to go to Samaria? Even though on the way to Galilee, the shortest route was a straight line. You, going to Samaria was a long way. And yet we're told in verse 4 in this passage, he had to go. Why did he do that? And now we know, because he really wanted to meet this one Samaritan woman. That was the mission. But why? What can Jesus do for this lady who was living in the shadows, outcast by her own people, engaged in a series of failed relationships? What, what did Jesus want to do for her? I mean, is it just alleviation from momentary pain? Is it just kind of get the problem out of her life, whatever is causing her trouble and sorrow, maybe just to help her to make it through the next day, maybe like an aspirin, just to cope with the world, survive one more day in this world? I mean, after all, think about what we pray for. Isn't that what we usually pray for oftentimes? Just help me get through the next day. Just get this problem out of my way. Just make this life a little bit better. What is it? that Jesus is giving this Samaritan woman when he offers her living water. Okay? Here's where Bible study is important. You take a step back from this chapter, and you look at the whole of Scripture. You look at the whole Bible, and you focus over on the Old Testament. And you'll find there, there is a pattern, a theme that's repeated at least three times, of a man traveling to a foreign place, meeting a woman at a well, it occurs three times in the Old Testament in the Bible. It occurred in Genesis 24. Remember, Abraham's servant was looking for a wife for Isaac. He goes to a well, meets Rebekah, who later becomes Isaac's wife. In Genesis 29, Jacob travels to a foreign land, goes to a well, and guess who he meets? Rachel, who becomes his wife. You read Exodus chapter 2, Moses, he's in a foreign land, land of Midian. He's at a well. He meets a woman. Her name is Zipporah. What happens to them? They get married. Apparently, wells back then were your modern-day bars, a great place to pick up people. But the point is, all three of these accounts in the Old Testament end in marriage. And here in our passage, Jesus goes to a foreign land, meets a woman at a well. Could it be possible that John wants us to consider this whole story under the subject of marriage? Is it just a coincidence that Jesus deliberately points out this woman's marital status? Go get your husband and her marriages? 
Marriage is an important theme in the Bible because of what it represents. It represented the return of the Lord. It was equated to a, a wedding where God's people will finally be united with their creator and where they enjoy and engage forever in this intimate communion and fellowship that they would have with God. That's why in Revelation 19, verse 9, the end of the Bible, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But go to your Bibles when you go home. Before John chapter 4, read John chapter 3. Just before this incident, guess what John says? He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Just before this well incident, that's what this chapter says. Who is this Jesus who is offering living water? He's the bridegroom, and the church is his bride. And the final wedding, the marriage of the Lamb, spoken about in Revelation 19, John is saying, has come right now in the person of Jesus Christ, and he's taking the long way to do what? To meet a woman at the well, a Samaritan sinful woman. What does Jesus really want to give this woman when he offers her living water? What is it to this woman who has no husband? What is it that he really wants to give? And here's the point. What Jesus really wants to give, what he really wants to offer this Samaritan woman is his hand in marriage. Metaphorically. He wants to give her himself. He wants to bring this poor Samaritan woman, this outcast, this sinful woman into the bride of Christ. He doesn't come to meet her to judge her, to condemn her, but to draw her to himself. What Jesus wants to give is what he will be to this poor woman who has had five husbands but never really knew. What Jesus gives is what he will be to her, and he will be to her a faithful husband forever. To cherish her and to love her with his own body and be united to her even unto death. Faithful forever he will be to her. That's what he wants to give. He's the living water. He's the well. He's the spring that flows with water that never runs dry. And he's not saying that now if you, if you understand this, all the problems are gone. No, he's not saying all the pain is now done. No, he's not saying all sin and temptation will now end. Not now. But what he's saying, no matter the problem, no matter the pain, no matter the sin, you can always return to him. And you can drink from him again and again. And you can take from him again 
grace and mercy and forgiveness again and again. You can be refreshed from him again and again and again. And every time life gets hard. And though people in your life may come and go, your faithful bridegroom will never leave. What do you think you really need right now? What are you praying for? What are you, what are you struggling with? Whatever it is, remember this. In Jesus Christ, by faith in him, you have been given what he thought you most needed. And that is himself. So as you pray, and as you work, and as you struggle, Jesus is saying, hey, take a break. Let's have a drink. Drink from him. Remind yourselves how much you have been loved by this God. That your greatest need has been met in him. So trust in him for all lesser needs. Because he's still there. He is still faithful. Even at times when we are faithless. I've got two applications, but I'm going to say that for next time. But let me just end right here. And as we come to prayer, let's ask ourselves the same question. Do you know who this Jesus is? He crosses lines, right? He doesn't just fit into our culture, our world, our thinking, right? He addresses our needs, not just physical needs, but even deeper needs. And he is addressing our hearts. Do you understand who you have right now? who you should want right now. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love, your mercy. These things we, we say all the time, but um, Lord, I, I just pray. You know the reality. You know every day and what every day is like for all of us. You, you know the things that we go through, the things we do. Things we think and feel, Lord, you know our heart's desires. And many times we, we come to you as like children who are always, always wanting and needing. Never quite there in terms of satisfaction. Always looking and working so hard to fill whatever it is that we think will give us ultimate joy or satisfaction. We, we come asking you to fill our water pots. When all along you've been telling us, Lord, you've given to us something that our water pots could never hold. And not that we shouldn't continue to, to fill them so that we might live physically, but teach us what it means at times in our lives where we need to leave that water pot there because of what we've given in you. Help us to find again our ultimate satisfaction and joy with you. As cliche as that sounds, help us, Lord, to know that if the Bible is true and what you said you've given is true, you have given to us every reason to be faithful, to be stable, to be secure, to be anxiety-free, worry-free, to, to be without fear. 
We struggle with all these things. But if the Bible is true, you have given to us everything we need, and so we come to draw from you. Remind us again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.